What is going on, Diesel Nation? We're excited to have you guys with us today on the Diesel Podcast. If you're watching this on YouTube and aren't subscribed, make sure and hit the subscribe button, turn on notifications, like and comment. Let us know what you think of the episode. <clears throat> if there's a particular guest that you'd like to have on, or maybe some more questions that you would like me to ask somebody in that field or that specializes in what we're chatting about that day. We're always checking YouTube. Love to see your guys' feedback. And it really helps us be able to incorporate your questions and things that you guys want to hear about into future episodes. Today I'm going to be joined by Lenny Reed from Dynamite Diesel Products. I wanted to catch up with him. He's always really busy there at the shop. They've got some super cool things they've been working on with trying to get more power out of older trucks just with injectors. And he's going to chat with us about that, some things uh, that's going to be coming up with injector technology, and chat with him a little bit about business and, and some of those topics I know you guys love to hear about. Before we get to it though, I want to give a shout out to a couple of our sponsors. First is Fluid Ampner, and we had done an episode with them not long ago, it was a few months back, and it was really insightful. We had a lot of great feedback from it, talking about issues with the factory dampener, what can happen with time or mileage, and how it can throw the engine out of balance, and then the catastrophic failures that can take place. So having them on to explain their product, it's really cool because it's basically drop-in. There's no service or maintenance that you need to do, and they make them for tons of different year ranges and models. So um, it's not something that you, you know, just do if you're doing a, a race engine build. Just on a daily driver at stock levels, it can definitely help protect your engine and avoid those costly mistakes. Just head on over to fluidamptor.com, check out what they have. If they have any questions, they're more than happy to chat with you guys, answer them, and make sure that your engine lasts as long as it can. Also want to give a shout out to Kershaw Knives. They're a sponsor of the podcast. They have a 20% off discount code just for diesel podcast listeners. Go to kershaw.kiausa.com. Use code diesel20 for 20% off site-wide. Great way to save some money and get some cool gear, whether you need it for EDC, hunting, fishing, or just something to throw in a toolbox. They've got a ton of choices for you. All right, let's get to today's episode with Lenny from Dynamite Diesel Products, catching up with him and chatting injectors. Lenny, welcome back to the Diesel Podcast. I look forward to chatting with you today as I always do. You're out there moving and shaking and doing so much that uh, every time we chat, there's something new. So look forward to connecting with you today and talking about Dynamite Diesel, diesel in general, really anything that comes up. It's the coffee. That's what makes me move and shake. <laughs> <laughs> no, good morning. It, uh, it's it's always fun to be on the podcast. Uh, things have changed a lot since I've been a member of your podcast and uh, making my appearances. So I do appreciate the time that you give us and uh, the attention you give us. I hope that it helps people. Um, you know, we're certainly learning a lot on our end, and I'd like to share that as much as I can because it seems to me like when I drive a truck that I did five years ago, ten years ago, I just think, wow, this thing's horrible. And then when I drive something that we did two years ago, I'm like, ah, it's pretty good. But then I drive something that we do today, and I'm thinking, wow, this is the best thing they've ever done. Uh, and that's cool because we really do want all of the trucks to be better than they've ever been, not just running. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's kind of my thoughts is better, 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 not just the same, same, same. Well, it's, uh, it's the evolution, I think, not just of products or a particular part of increasing a vehicle's performance or drivability but it also speaks to bigger topics or more general things like uh, business team building um gosh marketing just advancements and diesel's undergone a lot of it you know i, I mean it started i did a podcast recently somebody was talking about pictures and how 10 years ago you could have a grainy kind of potato phone <laughs> picture and it was fine nobody cared and now it's you know, a whole production with lots of money wrapped up in cameras and photographers and videographers. So I think that progression is really 
has really helped, um, you know, the industry. And I think people, truck owners out there, when they're looking for products, it's starting to match what they see in other industries like electronics or just really anything else out there. So it's been cool to watch. The, the evolution, you know, like I started this business in like, uh, I started kind of dabbling in like 98, 99. And then I jumped in full swing, uh, full time in 2000. And since then, you know, like electronics edge products was just coming on board. TST was kind of in full swing. They had like their cam plates. They had like, I don't know, 10 different cam, 11 different cam plates that they offered for the P pumps. And he was this ex Cummins engineer, you know, supposed to be the smartest guy on the planet. Um, and then he had his little, uh, he has TST box, which I believe was just like a, that was kind of like an edge comp box, I guess. And uh, he was, he was a little bit, I guess, older than the guys at edge. They were young and just out of engineering schools and things like that. So watching something start in this industry literally from the ground up has been kind of a, an evolution of like watching grand openings and grand closings. Um, I've seen a lot of companies start and, and leave the industry with, you know, just, a they took people's money and they ran and that was, that's never good to watch. Um, so I've, you know, throughout the years kind of learned that when people ask me about stuff, what I give them for advice is always a bit more conservative than rather like jumping on with the latest, greatest, you know, brand new widget. Cause a bunch of those brand new widgets, the companies, whoops, I'm drop my coffee. That would suck. <laughs> um, the companies aren't, uh, if the company's not been around a long time, or if I know that the widget they're selling doesn't have like a lot of life in it, then I'm not going to be the first guy to try and recommend it because most of these customers that I'm meeting today, and I've said this for years, like Americans have had it way too easy. You know, we just go out and buy a new truck every 18 months, every 24 months. People are buying new trucks and upgrading. And uh, in Australia, it's not that way. They keep their rigs for 25 years. Here, it's starting to get that way. Like our numbers are, are greater now than they were a year ago. And it's because people aren't, they can't buy brand new trucks. And if they could buy it, if they ordered a truck, and they've got one coming and it shows up, the sticker on the truck is next to $100,000. And that, when you get into a six-digit pickup truck and you're thinking, you know, like, let's just say you've, you've got a really, really good job. You're, you're making 75, maybe 100 grand a year, 120 grand a year. Um, you've been thinking about retirement for 30 years and you go and chuck down a hundred grand on a pickup truck and another hundred grand on a camp trailer, 150 grand on a camp trailer, and maybe put a Harley in it, or maybe put a, uh, uh, some sort of a side-by-side -side in the back of it. And all of a sudden you're like, that changes when I should retire. So do you work the extra three years so you can comfortably own all of that stuff? Or do you keep the old truck that's five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old? And just drive it and enjoy it. And that's what I see happening right now is everybody's calling us up and they want their old truck to just perform like a new truck. Because new trucks today, face it, they're not slow. They make 450 horsepower. They're, they're not slow. That was a dream back in the old day. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that the evolution of things, like that, that evolution constantly is a change. And uh, the new trucks, the transmissions are maybe a bit more fragile. 
but there's a lot more gears to choose from. So you're constantly in peak power. The older trucks, you only got four gears. You've got to make sure that your power curve is nice and flat. Otherwise, it's not going to feel very good. And it might be a hot, smoky mess. Um, that's another thing. Uh, Peter Pfeiffer, South Bend Clutch, hit me up uh, yesterday and said, how's your numbers looking? I said, well, we're, we're right on track with what we were last year. He's like, no way. You're the only guy I've talked to that said that. I'm like, yeah, well, you know, in my industry, the remanufacturing side of just keeping stuff running is going very, very strong. And on top of that, I'm trying to master the art of taking old trucks and making them operate and start and drive like new trucks. And that's a challenge because new trucks all come with variable vane turbos. So they got throttle response off the bottom. They got smoke control off the bottom. And then they make really good power. They make 400, 450 horsepower. Um, you know, that was unheard of 10 years ago. So uh, the, the art of the injector and the spray hole, the rate shape, which, you know, is basically the pressure in which the injection event happens. All of those things are stuff that we're learning how to master better and better and better on the daily. And, you know, it's become such a specialized forte that, you know, here I'm out at the house waiting on the electrical inspector day. Um, hip, hip, hooray. We're, we're getting to the end. Uh, but this is also where our dino's at and our shop is here. And mechanic Mitch, he's out there. He's, he's, got, uh, he's got an 07 Dodge truck that's going to be like 700 horsepower that Diesel Power Products owns. So we're working with Calibrated on tuning that today on our dyno. Um, and in the midst of him waiting on tunes and things like that for revisions, he's uh, putting a set of ball joints in for one of the guys at our shop um, on a second gen Dodge. And in the parking lot, I've got an LML Duramax that we need to be studying hopefully late this week. And that once we get it bolted to the dyno, it'll be there for probably three weeks because that guy wants a smoke free 600 horsepower. Um, so, I mean, it's just, and then I've got one, two, so we picked up a truck. It's an all white, like 97 truck. And that truck is going to be a, a raffle type truck. We're going to start with this bone stock, 120,000 mile four wheel drive Dodge. And we're going to start by throwing delivery valves and, you know, just the regular stuff at it. And then sort of explain what it is we're doing and why we're doing it. And then show people what smoke control looks like. If I just remove the cam plate and, and remove the foot out of the AFC, show them what 350 horsepower really smoky looks like, and then show them what 350 horsepower looks like done correctly with a much broader torque curve, uh, smoke control, uh, mileage, uh, overall drivability just being way better. So I've got a lot of projects out here. It's it's a good time <laughs> to be me. Well, there's a few different a few different things there that I think converge a little bit, and you know what you mentioned before about buying a new truck every, you know, couple years or, you know, that was kind of the standard thing, but the economy has changed so much that, you know, there are, we hear from a lot of listeners that, you know, they want to maintain their LML or their older six, seven Cummins or six, seven power stroke. So on your side, and I'd say larger in a larger context with the diesel industry, what is that transition like to be able to, stay ahead of the curve a little bit because I think it used to be different. It was, it was very easy to get performance out of trucks. There were lots of things that, you know, you could just make a quick sale. 
Um, whereas now it's totally different. And I'm really interested in that part because what, what you'd mentioned with taking an older truck and making it drive or feel like a newer one is really crucial because you're right. Trucks are, you know, over a hundred thousand dollars or close to it. And why wouldn't I want to keep the one that I have and invest a little money into it and have maybe even better performance for a lot less money. Okay. So there's a couple of things there. Um, again, you know, since I was on the phone with Peter, I, you know, I'm asking him like, what have you done differently for marketing this year and things like that? And he's kind of like, I, oh, you know, like nothing, um, you know, Delton's doing a great job. And I'm like, well, yeah, but everybody out there is moving and shaking and you've got to really stay, you've got to stay in the front or else you're not going to be in the front at all. Uh, so, you know, I pointed him to our YouTube station because if I'm trying to explain how to do something with a dynamite diesel product and it might not fit exactly um, one of the other brands of injectors, but they see that I'm doing something a little bit differently, the next time that they go to buy something, they might buy it from us just because we're doing it a little bit differently. And we're not saying like, my opinion is our stuff's better than yours. I'm trying to say what we're doing is scientifically proven and this is why we're doing it it costs us more money to do it this way but every customer out there is helping us pay for those widgets and those tools and and those machines so with peter he's like you know dude like one thing that's always frustrated me about this industry is uh the trucks the idle you know 750 maybe 800 rpm and if the motor's not very well balanced and the motor's kind of like a little bit erratic then the springs inside the clutch that dampen all that clutch, all of that stuff takes a bigger beating than if the motor just ran around in a fluid motion, right? So he was very much like for the whole, like our idles. Um, factory, factory allows like a 10 millimeter cubed or a 10 cc deviation basically at idle. And uh, eat that, that, that deviation is like 200%. So you get one hole that's making, say, 10 or 15 horsepower, and you get one hole that's making 20 horsepower. Well, piston speed is different between those two holes, right? We try to get our idles within like two or three cc's, and that's a lot tighter balance, not 10. So that clutch, as it's swinging around to 850 RPM or 750, it's, it's smoother. And the reason I like it is because when it's a really cold morning, you go to start the thing and it makes enough horsepower that it actually wants to idle correctly and start correctly and do what it's supposed to do. And then you go to pull it into gear or you let your foot off the clutch and the, the motor doesn't go, hur, 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 hur. it just kind of drives away nice and smooth. And that's stuff that with coding on the later style injectors for the later style trucks, they're basically asking the injector, the, they're telling the ECM, this injector is a little bit weaker than the one next to me. So I need you to make the other injector a little bit weaker to act like me. They can't make the smaller injectors party harder, but they can make the stronger injectors party less hard. So with coding, when an injector's balanced correctly in the test stand, you don't really need to code it. It doesn't matter. But if you, because the ECM is going to see the motor's running very smooth and it's not going to try and deviate those injectors individually. So we've never had a problem with people calling us up and saying, look, I put your injectors in. What codes do I put in there? Since we've altered all those parameters, the factory code that's on the injector won't matter anyway. So we've just 
in order to stay away from complaint from <laughs> in order to stay away from complaint calls, we've just really focused on making sure that our idle quantity is very, very balanced across the bottom end. And and of course, you know, like all the way through the bottom to the mid to the top end, it's the same that we just try and keep it tight. And that's uh you know, when we're using I'm going to step back 10 years when we just had extrude hone and I would grab any nozzle, you know, like say a, a VP 44 truck, the uh, P8, P829, P830 or a P820 were the part numbers of the nozzles that we were extrude honing back then. And basically the P820 was the RV 275 horse injector nozzle. And that's seven holes on a VCO. And the outside diameter, like measuring with our device, is about uh, 9.8 thousandths to like 10 thousandths of an inch. So all those holes are close to 10. If you try to put a 10 thou pin gauge in there, it won't fit because the, the gauge is very, very close to 10. And you're trying to shove it in a hole that's just 10 or sub 10, so it doesn't fit. So if I try to sell those as 7 by 10s, the guy in his backyard that thinks he's smarter than me goes, well, I've got a 10 thou pin gauge and it doesn't fit. Yeah, no, <laughs> but it's still a 10 thou hole. We used to just shove extrude hone through there, or the other guys would just shove a bigger piece of wire through that same hole and they would make the hole bigger. We were doing the same thing. In effect, we were just adding a bunch more K factor. We we're making the whole flow mat flow more without making the outside of it any bigger. And the end goal was we were both making power, but it was dirty, gross power. And I knew that K factor was a thing. That's how my injectors worked without increasing the outside hole diameter. But what I'm learning now by using blanks is if I optimize the spray pattern for the piston bowl, I can use less holes and I can make them smaller and make more power than the factory did back then. So recently, this last month, we've had two trucks, VP44s. One was a uh, standard output truck with, uh, we had an edge comp box and we had a Quadzilla and we had a fleece cheetah turbo. We got that truck to make 470 horsepower with no programming whatsoever. And uh, the turbo started to run out of air in the mid fives range. So the, in effect, the box was not really that powerful because the turbo was running out of air, but I could easily see that truck making 600 horsepower with that turbo. And, uh, it was not smoky. It was hazy at wide open throttle, but that's only because the turbo is running out of air, but at 470 horsepower on factory programming, that truck was unbelievable. Like it looked like it had a DPF on it. And this is a truck from 2001. So, because of how impressed we were with those results, we pulled the VP44 truck in with a stock turbo, six-speed transmission, and then started all over. And we ended up using some sick... Basically, what I learned is if we make a hole, call it six thousandths of an inch, and uh, then we add the proper K factor, not too much, not too little, but the proper K factor, we could make that hole, which is... We don't have seven. We're down to six holes and they're not 10,000 of an inch. They're like six, six, two, 
that hole would make like 50, 60 horsepower over a stock injector, which was more than the RV275 horse because those things usually make like high 30s to low 40s. Uh, so we really got to where we got that truck to make, I think, 370 horsepower on just injectors with no tuning. And at 370 on a factory turbo, it was starting to get smoky, but the turbo is just out of air. The drive pressure was getting stupid. We were just out of air. It's not that the injector was smoky. We just, I know that that turbo is good to about 350 horsepower and that's it. So, so what I've discovered is like uh, the methods in which we want to use as business people are burn a bunch of holes through nozzles or buy X size nozzle stockpile them and then modify them with the extrude hone as the order comes in. What I've recently learned is that won't work for us. Today's technology, the demand of what people expect out of their drivability now means that we have to make a hole size about every half a thousandth of an inch different. And that is good for about 50 horsepower. So to the layman, they're all going to look at these things and be like, oh, I'm going to try and shove a pin gauge in there. They're, they're going to struggle because these holes are so bloody small. They're, they're way smaller than 10 thousandths. And there's only six of them, but it's a DLC coated needle valve, which makes the speed and the response time of the needle valve very, very quick. Um, they sound a little different because that needle valve is faster and the hole size is just smaller. But we're still, what I'm really excited for now is I know how much power we can make with them. And that was easy. Making the power is always the easiest part. But now I'm excited to see what kind of mileage we get out of these things. So learning what I learned on BP44 legitimately has allowed me to rewrite history on a 20 some odd year old motor. And believe it or not, dude, those trucks, they're still outselling those things. We probably sell, I'm going to guess to say that it's between four to 10 sets of those injectors a day. It is unreal. Still that many people modifying those things. So I can't say they're bad. Um, it's really got me very interested in what I'm going to find with P-Pump 12-valve stuff, which I now have a, a, a stand coming. And my stand isn't just for measuring CCs, but it basically has two pressure transducers in the line between the injection pump and the injector. And the reason that we did that is because we're going to look to see what the shockwave looks like in the line so we can see when the injector is too big or too small for the style of pump that we're getting at. Because looking at like common rail, common rail has been really good. And now that we have rate shape in common rail, I, I realize now how ignorant we were when we thought we knew something about common rail. Now that we've got rate shape, now we really know more. And there's so much data that Skylar you know, he's, he's on that stand eight hours a day, every day, and he's learning stuff eight hours a day, every day. So with him doing that, Mitch being a specialist on the dyno, um, we're starting to get to this point where not one guy can just walk into any room and be the king of the room. Like I don't know as much as Mitch when it comes to this dyno, he's already got a month straight on it that I don't have, and I'm never going to catch that experience. Um, you know, with Skylar, I'm never going to catch his experience because he's on that test stand. I may walk out there once in a while when he's stumped and he may go, dude, I don't this, but then he's already done so much data acquisition that I just go, Oh, well, did you try this? Or did you, 
what if you do this and that? And he goes, oh, crap, let's try that. And so I might walk out there with a good idea once in a while. But generally speaking, like the knowledge that each one of my employees is gaining at this point is unreal. And that's something that all of my guys are really passionate about. Like I'm, we almost had a fist fight in the shop about <laughs> maybe a month ago. And it was because one guy who's responsible for building like all the fifties and the nineties, he's really frustrated, right? So he's down there upset and he comes back and he hands these injectors to the guy on the AFM and the guy on the AFM pops a head gasket because he feels like he's being attacked and he feels like he's doing his very best job. And I hear these nozzles hit the ground and I kind of peek my head around the corner and usually on the snap case, right? Like everybody thinks that Lenny's going to be the one that, you know, starts throwing bodies around. <laughs> and I, I, I kind of look around the corner. I'm like, what, what are we doing? And then, of course, you know, both guys are like, oh, shit. And I look at both of them and I can tell that right now they've both, they're at the wits end because they're both giving 100% and they're pissed. Both of them are mad because neither one of them knew what to do. So I said, all right, you know, like explain to me your side of it, explain to me your side of it. And I hear them both and I go, cool. So whatever you were both just doing, you're not doing that now. Now we're going to work on this thing together. So the guy on the AFM walks down to the guy on the calibration stand station. And we all start running parts to see that these parts aren't working the way they're supposed to work. Well, the guy on the AFM doesn't want that to be the case, right? So then I go back to the, then all of us head back down to the AFM station and we try and figure out like, this is what we're doing. And this is what the machine says is perfect why are they not perfect down at the other end? So we discovered that some of the instructions that we were given were not really valid instructions. So we slowed down our process time. We started making a better shaped hole. It takes us more time. Um, but then I discovered why I can still find in the OEMs, those guys have spent big, 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 big money to make sure that they can get stuff done as fast and as accurate as possible. And our stuff is still a lot more accurate. So there's a reason for that. And I can't really like elaborate too much on that, but we discovered what that reason was that day. And then we started really honing in on that, which has slowed down our, our process even more, but by slowing down in the AFM. So it goes like blank step one, we EDM it step two, then it goes to the AFM or the extrude hone. And basically the extrude hone gets to process any holes that are over eight and a half thousandths, maybe nine thousandths of an inch. But all of the holes that are say three thousandths up to like that eight and a half, the AFM gets to process those holes. Now the AFM is far more accurate because it has a internal uh, flow meter to it. But if you ask the flow meter to read it too correctly, too quickly, it doesn't work at all. It's not very correct at all. It'll show you a line and it shows you that it's perfect, but our old four or $500 flow meters catch flaws in that. So we've slowed things down to make sure that we were actually capturing as much perfection as we could. Um, that's really helped out quite a bit. So, you know, having dudes that are passionate, like Adrian, he's really becoming just a, uh, He's becoming a K-Factor specialist. 
And K factor is just the radius going into this, the, the hole and those spray holes, you know, knowing what angle to do and knowing what piston, I can tell you one thing, factories aren't too far off. Look, if a factory has calibrated something to require 124 degree spray pattern, a 126 doesn't work with a crap. They, they run, they work okay, but they don't run that good. Um, so we've, this year, since we bought so many tools and widgets, and since we've ordered more, um, the learning curve of our technology in our brain was very, very, very steep. So now I got one dude that's on the EDM eight hours a day. Like, I don't even bother that guy. Uh, if I need something, then I'll work with him now and make sure that he can capture my knowledge very, very quick and catch me. But I don't, I don't just walk over and take it from him anymore. Before, I'd just be like, hey, you're over there. I got some stuff to do. And then I would figure it out. But I really, where we're at, like, I basically spend from, from 5, 30, 6 o'clock in the morning till noon at the shop. And then at noon, I come home, I grab a bite to eat. And then I'm out here in the dino bay for the rest of the afternoon. And uh, that's kind of my schedule. So it's really, I'm, I'm definitely having to focus and more on training and making sure everybody else is awesome rather than me trying to be the awesome one. Like it's just, uh, there's too much for me. It's a really, it's a really interesting point. Cause you've talked with us before about team building, finding the right people, um, about putting them in a position to succeed. And that was something I was really curious about is when you get a team invested in doing the best job that they can, when a situation or a frustration arises, how do you settle that conflict or how do you, keep that kind of team atmosphere together. So I thought it was really interesting how you kind of paused everything, did a timeout and then collectively, you know, got together to figure out what the issue was. And I'm sure they both learned a lot and you did as well. But I think a lot of people wonder that is they think, okay, I got a great team. People are passionate about working. How do I handle conflict or frustration when things aren't, when the team isn't achieving what they know that they can. And it's like, I think they probably take it personal a little bit because they're so invested, you know, emotionally and with their time and their, their knowledge that they've invested. The, you know, shop owners are some, I deal with a lot of shop owners around America, right? And the mechanic, you know, my father was a mechanic. So he was a mechanic in a small farm town and he was also like a, he worked in a machine shop and did cylinder head work as well. So he, he ran a boring bar for a little bit and then he did some machine work on a machine on the cylinder heads. So when he, when he quit working for everybody else and started his own gig, he was able to rebuild cylinder heads in the shop plus install them in the shop. He was a mechanic and he was his own service writer and he answered his own phone. So it was just a, a one man band, uh, which never appealed to me because I watched him, from service calls on Caterpillar scrapers to installing clutches on Honda Preludes. And I thought, this is a miserable way to live because you don't get good at anything. You don't, you don't spend enough time working on a Caterpillar scraper to go buy all the high dollar tools to make that job easy. And you don't spend enough time working on a Honda Prelude to buy all the high dollar tools to make that job easy. You just fight your ass off. You just work, work, work really, really hard. And it just, it looked ugly to me. So as as the production of automobiles has changed when i saw diesel becoming popular i thought this was my opportunity 
to use like everything that my father taught me as a kid in one gamut of life because everybody back then was like i'm a gas guy like i'll change spark plugs and you know adjust timing but i know nothing about diesel and i thought perfect because if you don't want to learn it, i will and pretty soon i'll be a diesel specialist and here we are you know 20 years later and now i see that there's gas shops in town that have just they're surrounded by diesel pickups as well so the mechanic and the service advisor service advisor is usually the guy that orders the parts and, and deals with the customer complaint right customer walks in goes it goes buh, 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 jank, 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 buh, and then it stops well service advisor is if they're not good about their job and they don't really care then they're going to they're going to try and write that down and the mechanic's going to be like i'm going to beat somebody to death i can't fix this off of that information so basically what i see happening that's good and dealerships aren't good about this you go to a dealership nobody likes going to dealers but you walk in there's a a well-dressed person at the counter and you tell them what the problem is and they say okay they type it in and there's a bunch of like boxes that they're required to check and it's a very generalized description well then the mechanic gets the keys and they've got you know they're trying to work flat rate so they don't want to spend very much time driving this thing and figuring it out and they say oh no problem found or you know like i couldn't duplicate the symptoms or what have you right the private shops the small private shops like they've got an opportunity for a good service advisor to walk out jump in the vehicle and go for a test drive with the consumer and have the consumer say this is exactly what i'm complaining about oh that that is probably not your alignment. That's probably a tire that's separated. That's probably an injector. Like we had, this is, I hate to admit this, but one time I had a mechanic working for me and uh, it was a LB7 truck with a six speed manual tranny. So there was like four of them made and we were putting injectors <laughs> in one of these, right? So the, the mechanic and the service advisor, service advisor didn't know anything they diagnosed that it needed a set of injectors well the customer dropped off the truck and said well it makes this like you know rattly changy sound that uh just horrible description so mechanic jumps in the truck and sees that the balance rates of the injectors are way out of balance he documents it all correctly and then he sells a set of injectors customer comes to pick up the truck and the truck has the exact same you know, worn out clutch sound. He walks in, now he's mad and he wants to talk to the owner. So I'm back there working on injectors and I, Hey, how can I help you? you know, and this guy's just like, you just took four grand from me and my truck still does the exact same thing. And I'm like, Whoa, 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 let's, let's back up. I get in the truck and I start the truck and within one second, I knew that it needed that it needed a clutch. So I look at the mechanic and I'm shaking my head. Like, did you do this just because you work flat rate and you knew you could make money in injectors or did you do this because you're that ignorant? I just didn't, it, it, it hit me so sideways. I didn't know what to do. So I tell the guy, well, it needs a clutch. And he's like, that's kind of what I thought. So I made him a smoking deal on the clutch. Fortunately, we were able to document the injectors had poor balance rates and that they were probably on the way out anyways. 
So I told the guy, I'm like, look, here's the deal. Like, we'll put the clutch in for this much money. It was a smoking deal. And then you're going to come drive the truck. And if it drives better and it runs better, then we're going to say you need the injectors as well. And you'll be okay keeping the injectors. But if we put the clutch in it and you say that the motor seems to run the exact same way, then we're going to put your old injectors back in it and you're going to drive away happy. It's going to take me an extra eight or nine hours to do the injectors again. He agrees to all that. And, you know, down the road he goes. In a small shop environment, if your service advisor isn't interested in that customer's needs, then the shop is going to struggle and the mechanics are going to struggle. And that's something that uh, my personal recommendation is every single shop in North America that has a service advisor and a mechanic or two mechanics has like a 10 minute meeting every single day. What happened yesterday? Am I waiting on parts from yesterday? What's going to happen today? And do we have parts coming for stuff today? Uh, Mrs. Jones dropped off her whatever. And she says that it's doing this, that, and the other. I went for a ride with her or I didn't go for a ride with her. Trying to make sure that your employees, they don't get to a boiling point. Trying to make sure that everybody's, you know, I, I, yesterday, there's always friction, right? Like you get, you get 10 dudes with egos in a building and there's always a little <laughs> friction. So we do the morning meetings every single day. And uh, this year we hired a manager named Mike and he wasn't doing meetings when I wasn't there. He did the meetings when I was there, but he didn't know that it was so important. So on days that I wasn't there, stuff was starting to fall apart. So I walk in his office and I'm like, dude, you have to do those meetings. Like this is a mandatory thing for you. At 7 a.m., everybody's punched in. The first thing you do is start with a meeting. He's like, well, I, I just, okay. Like, I mean, it seems like we're just kind of wasting 10 or 15 minutes. I said, no, we're not. Because a volcano basically has like seawater coming into gases and pressure and heat and it creates more pressure and pretty soon <laughs> volcano erupts and you don't really get to put the molten lava back in the volcano it's out forever right so i'm trying to explain to him that like the way to make sure that we don't have an eruption when i'm not here is to make sure that we're purging every single morning so if there is a complaint from a mechanic to a service advisor or a service advisor to a mechanic, it doesn't get to the point where somebody's being uh, assaulted hostily verbally. It just gets to the point where, hey man, like I'm frustrated because I don't know what the hell I'm supposed to do with the service right. Uh, I need you to give me better descriptions. Or next time that somebody says it this way, but they you don't know what they mean, come get me before we write up a service order. And, you know, so those 10 minute meetings every single morning, every shop owner, every manufacturer that I've spoke to, and I didn't create this plan. It was a buddy of mine, Bruce Ember, that created this plan. And uh, he's got 200 machinists to work for him in an ultra top quality shop. Like that place is cleaner in a hospital and they make parts, lots and lots and lots of parts. So I'm not saying I'm the smartest guy on the planet because I didn't create this plan but I didn't, you know, make toilet paper either. I'm just smart enough to use it. And for all of the uh, shop owners out there, I think a 10 minute meeting, we call it the morning huddle. That is probably, uh, that's something that I can give you for free advice. That's that'll make you thousands of dollars. 
Something else really important. I, I made a connection when you were telling me the story about how you don't get involved with you know, some of the stations and what some of the guys are doing and the experience that they have and how you could never catch them. And I was thinking about how much diesel has changed and the, the trends, whether it's with emissions on or it's taking what you've learned with that and applying it towards a 20 year old truck. And there was a interview I listened to one time with Kobe Bryant and, and somebody was asking him why he worked so hard, why he'd be in the gym at four in the morning. And he said that if he would go like right after the season ended, most guys would go and take vacation, whether it was a month or two weeks. And the next day he would go back into the gym. And he said, when I do that for one summer, you know, I'm three months ahead. Well, I do that for a year. I do that for five years. I do it for, you know, seven, eight years. I am so far ahead of them that if they even wanted to do it, they could never catch me. They could never catch the experience and the advancement and the things, you know, that he was working on. And so that what you were telling me reminded me of that, because I think as this transition happens and people are demanding more from their trucks, their older trucks, their, um, you know, the industry's growing and evolving. So I think the time that people spend now with whatever part they may make, whatever they may do with that kind of training and that experience, it's going to be really hard if you don't get on the, you know, the, the train, so to speak, to catch them really ever. You know, I watched that same documentary, I think. And and then there's a couple other guys that are high-end human beings that have said very similar things. One of them is Elon Musk. And his statement is, look, if I work 12 to 14 hours a day and you work eight, then every single day I'm gaining 50% more knowledge than you every single day. So there's no possible way that even if you worked for like two 24-hour days, you're not going to catch me. It's just not, it's not in the cards. And then uh, Steve Jobs, you know, the Apple guy, right? He says, like, uh, rich people have large libraries and poor people have large TVs. So I just built a library here in my house, which is empty, but it's really big. So that sucker back there. (laughs) But then hanging behind me is a 75-inch TV. So I'm just kind of going to be in the middle. <laughs> um, and Steve Jobs didn't understand this. Like YouTube has changed the game. So I can spend most of, and I, I choose to spend most of my nights like alone because the stuff that I want to watch or that I want to do or that I want to hear or that I want to listen to or that I want to, you know, if I want to do an audio book or sit and read a book, it's not what most people want to hear about. Like last night I wanted to know about like uh, how the pipeline across Alaska was created and how many years it took because, you know, we've got the Keystone pipeline, you know, the only thing that we know about the Keystone pipeline is whatever the news is telling us today, but history always repeats itself. Right. So knowing that it took a very, very, very long time for the Alaskan pipeline to get pumped through tells me that basically what we're going to see with the Keystone Pipeline is this. If history repeats itself, um, when, that, when the Alaskan Pipeline was an idea, there were uh, environmentalist groups that were upset about it, right? And those environmentalist groups had thousands of lawsuits against that pipeline going through Alaska. But you know what they all had in common? Hmm. They were addicted to oil. In some form or fashion, they were addicted to oil. So sooner or later, 
their bleeding heart, we need to save the planet bullshit was trampled by their own need to warm their house or start their car. So here comes the Alaska pipeline. And the same shit is going to happen with the Keystone pipeline. Like our current administration kills the Keystone pipeline on day number one. Like that's job number one is kill the Keystone pipeline. Well, back then we had gas and diesel at two bucks a gallon. And now we've got Russia and Ukraine. We love them because they've got steel and they've got oil. And now we are struggling to try and keep up with wages because everything that's made out of steel has skyrocketed. And every ounce of oil that was going to Europe and to us, we, we became addicted to Russian oil this year. And now we're supplying the Ukraine with money and ammunition to, to combat with Russia. Like as a business owner or a monopoly game player, I see all sorts of holes in this logic. It doesn't work. So there will be a day, and I know that you know people are going to be upset when I say this, but there's going to be a day that the Keystone Pipeline is finished and we become like, we're going to start using our oil again. And there's going to be lots of environmentalists and bleeding hearts that are like, what a jerk. You can't do that to my country, blah, blah, blah. We're trying to save the planet here. Meanwhile, they're all using heat to furnish their house to keep themselves warm. They're all using air conditioners. And now they're converting to electricity to charge their lithium ion powered go-go mobile. And that's, that's not free. Like you can't charge your car off of solar. Your car is going to require 40 amps, maybe 120 amps. And that's going to be for, you know, anywhere from like four to seven hours. There's not enough. Most people don't have a roof big enough to do that. So they're not going to have solar panels enough to charge their cars. Like, I'm sorry, you're going to have to, at some point, you're going back to the gasoline pump. You're going to buy diesel. And, you know, if they're claiming that we're going to be out of diesel here pretty soon, if that happens, it's not just going to piss off the people that you and I know that are in the diesel, you know, enthusiasm industry. It's going to piss off the lady that wants to go buy a turkey or a loaf yeah. of bread. Yeah. Like when she can't get bread because the bread truck couldn't get there because it ran out of diesel, she's going to be upset that the grocery store is all open and, and there's nothing on the shelves. So at least I like watching stuff like that. So yeah, I, most of my TV isn't like watching the Kardashians cause I could do without that for the rest of my life. <laughs> Most of it's trying to learn about like how things started and how things resulted. And, uh, the names are almost like, uh, that's almost great noise. Like it doesn't really matter, um, who was key because you just see history and history is always going to repeat itself. So that's why I do what I do with, you know, the, the library or the TV, um, and nobody wants to watch that shit. Nobody. <laughs> nobody. I get in those loops, too, where I'm just curious about something from 1,500 years ago, and then it leads into this whole, you know, YouTube evening or documentary evening or whatever it might be. Um, but you had mentioned, and I saw this on Instagram, and you guys were dynoing that truck, um, that VP truck. And you had mentioned it a little bit, and I know there's always cool new things that you guys have there. What's some new stuff that, you know, as we approach the holidays and, you know, head into the new year that, uh, you know, whether it's equipment, the dyno, what it's going to allow you to do, maybe test more things, come out with new products. What's, what's kind of on, on the horizon with it? Um, all of our VP 44 recipes just got revamped and they're way better than they used to be. 
we, because of rate shape on common rail, um, we're, we're now offering a dual feed VP44 injector and a dual feed 12 valve style injector. And I send those out and I have those drilled and then ground because a machine shop actually has to do that. Like I can't, I can't just shove a drill bit down in there and do that and do it correctly. So, so that costs, I mean, those things are like a thousand dollars more than a comp set, but the comp set is as big as you can get without dual feeding and the dual feeds. The reason why I'm super excited about those is because uh, people in America have become accustomed to a common rail needing a three, four, five thousand dollars set of injectors. Right. Um, and to buy, uh, I never hear somebody throw in my face, dude, I can buy a set of three seventies for 300 bucks. Like now they know that those things in stock form drive like garbage. So nobody's trying to compare my stuff to three seventies anymore. But if I take my two fifteen style pump and I put a dual feed in it and the fuel goes through the line, hits the injector and it splits into two ports and back into one nozzle. And let's just say that it does double shock that needle valve twice as fast. There's a potential that a four or 500 horsepower truck, which smokes today a little bit, smokes zero with a set of dual feeds in it. So I'm very excited about doing that stuff and getting all the testing done. Um, and it's been an accumulation of two years of accumulating, not just the tools, but you have to accumulate the trucks as well, right? Yeah. So, so this week we're going to do the diesel power products truck. I'll be working with calibrated on the tuning for that today. We're going to be doing the LML, which has a set of our fifties in it. And I've driven it a thousand miles. It works glorious, but it's not powerful enough for what the guy wants. So today, well, let me say this. When we're done with the 07, the LML is going to go on the dyno and we're going to make a few hits, collect all of our air gas data and whatnot. And then we'll, we'll go to like some 75s, which Skylar, our 75 and 100 horse recipe in the test stand doesn't really like mathematically make sense to him. So he wants to try some different recipes. And these are recipes that we've been selling for years. So we don't just change them willy nilly. But if the LML, what he, if what he says is better, turns out better then we're going to be updating that recipe for LMLs as well. Um, and like I say, we've got that, uh, I've got one truck. I've got one truck here with enough air for about a thousand horsepower, a 12 valve truck. I just ordered a good cylinder head yesterday from uh, the guys at Power Driven. Um, I've got one truck here, my old blue truck with like 23,000, 25,000 miles on it. That truck, I'm pulling the motor out of it. And I'm going to put it on the shelf. I bought a set of uh, Waggler's custom rods, which are 80,000 shorter. So I'm going to put a six, seven crank in a 12 valve block. I'm going to go with a 20 oversized piston stock compression ratio. And then I'm going to do that new head that I've got coming from, uh, from power driven and basically make myself a, a long stroked five, nine P pump mechanical daily. And I'm going to do one of our, we're kind of working on releasing some turbos. So I want to start testing on uh, turbos with this little, uh, I've got another 12 valve here, which is a 97, 180 truck. And that turbo, this is going to be kind of a basic build, like delivery valves, 
injectors, you know, governor springs, stuff that you don't have to remove the pump for. And we're going to see how good we can get it to run compared to how good we can get like a fully benched pump to run. So, and I've also got, this is so cool. Um, in 12 valve land, there's this, you know, your plunger, there's a flat top 12 millimeter diameter plunger that comes in the 160, 175, 180 horse pumps. And it, you can get them to pump about 450 cc's. The timing is static. So you set it at 17, 18, 19 degrees and it's there. No matter what engine RPM you bring it up to, it's always there. With the 215 style plunger, as the helix and the plunger rotate around, um, it actually advances the timing as engine RPM goes up. So that's kind of like a common rail. So a uh, good buddy of mine, Mark Massey, explains it to me this way. Um, if you have 15 millimeters of rack, you're still at static timing. At 16 millimeters of rack, you gain two degrees timing. 17, you gain two degrees all the way up to 21 degrees. You keep gaining two, two, two. So that plunger is really a cool type plunger, but it can pump about 900 cc's delivery. And since we don't need 900 cc's, but we want the shock, we want that violence on that nozzle and that needle valve. I'm working with a guy right now on manufacturing plungers that are very similar to the 215 style plunger, but are going to be a larger diameter. So the 13 millimeter plunger, we don't need that. Like I don't need a 13 millimeter with timing, but it's probably going to be about a 12.2 or a 12.3 millimeter plunger. And uh, those could be six months to a year down the road. And we'll test the heck out of that because that's going to move a lot of fuel and you'll have uh, a dynamic timing curve as well. So we're, we're doing a lot with old trucks because man, they're just, they're repopular again. Like yeah. all of a sudden people are driving them. Oh yeah. What's old is new. <laughs> you got mm -hmm. me thinking, you got me thinking about something. I've, I've been asked from time to time on the podcast to talk about eco diesels. And I saw that you, you have a gladiator and I wanted to ask you with what you have going on in the machines and the team and everything, do you anticipate kind of expanding into that market a little bit or, or what do you think about it as far as an aftermarket perspective of what somebody could do with an eco diesel? Um, you know, I've, I've been around a few of those things that had compound turbos and stuff on them and they ripped like they're little trucks with a little motor. And then you add some air and some fuel and we built some injectors that were like hundred percent over for a few guys that were racing them. And there's guys outside of this country that are really into those things. So they like synthetic oil and uh, that's something that helps those trucks keep alive a lot longer. I had a 2015 Grand Cherokee that I put injectors in and we picked up, it was an all wheel drive vehicle, right? So we had to run it over to another dyno. We picked up 15, 20 horse. I modified the injectors a little bit. I think I got it to run. I want to say it was 25 or 30 horsepower over stock and about 50 or 60 pound feet over stock. Uh, but it got rid of all the dead pedal. Like it really took care of that. And it was on a very linear curve after that. It was very nice to drive and it was pretty fun. And they, you get the cruise control set at 80, 85 mile an hour. And that thing didn't back off. It just stayed there all day long. The Gladiator that I've got, it's got some Dana Track uh, one ton axles under it and 41 inch IROX. So it could use more power. Um, I did change the gear ratio to bring it back down to stock. 
but still each one of my tires and wheels are probably, I'm going to guess 175 pounds per corner now. And, you know, factory stuff was like probably 75 pounds. So it's definitely, uh, it needs more, more zoop. Um, and that's something that I built that gladiator. Uh, we're actually going to be working where that truck will be in the turn 14 booth for King of the Hammers this year. So we'll be like giving joy rides in that thing. Oh, cool. It, it's going to be a good time. I'm really excited. <laughs> but yeah, we'll, we'll have injectors in it and tested before King of the Hammers. And uh, so, yeah, we're, that's, that's something in the works. We're, and most everything that we're doing is stuff that we're going to modify. And, uh, and all of it is like emissions type friendly. Like even this 2007 truck that Power Products has out here, that has a catalytic converter on it. Compound turbos, catalytic converter, big injectors, tuning. Smoke is none. This thing was ridiculous. 700 horse and it was like smoke free. It is wow. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know people, you know, they've been listening to us talk about injectors and different platforms and stuff. And I know you guys have some cool sales. You had mentioned them a little bit uh, on our last episode for uh, like Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and and then into the holidays. Um, off the top of your head, is it is it like all the injectors you guys offer or particular different engines or, um, yeah, what do you guys, uh, what you guys got coming up? So one thing that we decided to do this year, uh, we changed up how we were selling stuff. So basically we've got a 12 month forecast for all the sales and all of our dealer network gets an email saying 12 months from now, this is what we're going to have on sale because some of the companies are all different sizes, right? And the really big companies have marketing teams and they need at least three months minimum so they can start buying keywords and scheduling their advertisements and they want to make sure that their commercial looks correct. So the, the other thing is, is like when you go 12 months out, people go, ah, that's just noise that I don't need to think about. Like it's, I've got chaos that I need to worry about today. So we're also doing this thing where uh, every month we list out this month, next month, and the next month. So that way every, and, and last month, we're not going to talk about that anymore, but this new month, we're going to talk about this new month plus three months out. So we've got a 12 month forecast and we've also got a monthly reminder going out to be like, Hey guys, bump, 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 bump. Don't forget. Don't forget. Don't forget. We recently did a, uh, a sale that was all uh, anybody who is like a policeman or military ambulance firefighter anybody like that recently got uh it was a pretty deep discount and that was only for a few days but uh it was basically just to say thank you to all the uh, service members out there for doing us a, a public service that we actually appreciate um we've got uh obviously we've got black friday coming we've got cyber monday coming um we've got uh holiday sales that i'm allowing each one of my uh my, my dealers, my, my warehouses, every year they get to pick their own one day sale kind of a thing. Um, just that way they can stay individualized and they don't have to be the cut, copy, paste. Um, you know, everybody does is the exact same thing on the same day. And it's crazy how our industry, who I think is kind of just a bunch of dudes that don't really plan stuff like me, everybody knows that the holiday sales are a really good time to save money. So everybody in this industry moves a lot of parts. Uh, but yeah, for the rest of the year, 
definitely got those two coming up and there are some other stuff, but that's more of a mat with marketing. I don't know what he's got lined out or laid out. So, uh, but all of our dealers would actually have a better clue of that than I do, to be honest. Well, it is always a pleasure to chat with you, Lenny. I really love, loved hearing about uh, kind of the internal workings and the process that you take towards um, like keeping your team working the way they do and handling things. And then also, I'm really excited about the older trucks because I've you know, been as conditioned as anyone else. You think the new model comes out, latest, greatest. Um, you know, you're kind of onto it, but seeing this technology go back into VP trucks, 12 valves is really cool to be able to have that power, that torque where, you know, it's going to be as much, if not more than a new one, but you have that drivability that I think people today demand, you know, they, they want a better driving experience. So it's, it's really cool to see what you guys have been working on and, uh, yeah, chatting with you is always awesome. It gives me ideas, things to think about, um, ways to improve myself, learn more, and just, uh, just try to stay on top of everything that's happening in automotive, diesel, the world, the economy, everything else. Yeah, it's there's a lot of moving pieces right now that, you know, technology is amazing because we always know something about everything. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we probably don't know that much about anything, really. Like, we're we're just dabbling in, in <laughs> like, whether it's socioeconomic or, you know, just money or we don't know that much like the people that really know it are keeping it as a secret because they don't want us to know it so yeah. i'm just gonna like be really good at injectors and, and right now injectors uh, it almost feels like uh it almost feels like i'm a kid because i really i get excited to do things like this podcast i get excited to walk out and see how mitch is doing on this ball joint truck and it's just ball joints but the moment he's done with those ball joints, then we can upload the new files from Calibrated and we can try their stuff. Because once Calibrated understands how to tune our stuff and I can show them videos and data logs, then they can start selling tunes for all of our products. So I'm excited to see this thing leave with 700 horsepower that's like smoke free with a DP, uh, excuse me, a catalytic converter on it because it's an 0759, came with a cat. This is an EO tested cat uh you know it's an aftermarket cat like it's got bd's compounds on it hamilton cam i mean it's it's a well put together truck and i'm just very excited for to be a part of this and know that the file like when i drive it i'm anal about any sort of rattling and pinging and stupid stuff that is happening i hate all that so i'm gonna make sure that i do as much uh butt kissing as I can to the tuner to be really nice, but then send him videos and be like, you hear that rattle? You hear that rattle? Like I'm going to make a data log where it's only where the engine is rattling. You tell me how many MM cubed it's pumping right there. And let's increase that by 10%. And then at that point, let's see what happens to the rattle. Uh, is it timing? Is it fuel? Whatever it is, it is, but it's, it's really good. Um, you know, like the guys at Levon, Levon Miller and, and his guys at Firepunk, they've got a uh, uh, booby pane. Uh, he's a customer. Two 12-millimeter pumps, a big set of injectors, and this is a hot truck. It's got like a 106-millimeter atmosphere charger on it blowing into like a, I don't think it was like a 76 or something. And those guys, they've, you know, they're used to tuning like extra G stuff and then SNS stuff. And they hated tuning ours because we do something totally different. And I want that stuff in there as fast and as hard as possible. So they tried it. 
they sent the injectors in. We documented they were fine. We sent them back, said, here's a complete flow sheet, like just like you'd have to have for a Bosch ECU. Correct. You build your own tune. So they built their own file and it starts and runs. And then it makes 2,000 and some odd horsepower on a fairly conservative tune with way too much drive pressure. Needs more wastegate. So it's very exciting. Like there's so many, the racing scene is picking back up. Um, you know, now we've got uh, the the NHRDA is firing back up for this season. Yeah. We've got ODSS. I mean, there's, it's, COVID's over. And now people are just back to getting regular flus and things like that. People are back to wanting to do stuff. So I, I, I just love where we're at. It's, it's fantastic. Well, I love hearing about it. And that's why, you know, these podcasts, I always enjoy chatting with you and getting some insights and I will uh, I definitely keep my eye out for some sales. I know some people interested or needing, or they really need some injectors. So um, it's always helpful to, you know, just tell them, Hey, you know, go on YouTube, go to these podcasts, listen to you know, what I chat about with Lenny. So it was uh, fantastic to chat with you today and look forward to connecting here in the not so distant future. Appreciate you. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to text message with Matt. I'll find out what the sales are and when they are this year. And I'll send that in a text to you. That way you can uh, share that information for me and hopefully we can get more people buying our stuff. That will do. Yeah, dude. Thanks. Have a good day. Don't forget diesel fans, make sure and head on over to fluidampter.com. Check out their products they have for your diesel truck, whether it's stock, got you know a tune on it, mild upgrades, or it's a full-on race truck. It's definitely worth the investment to make sure your engine stays in balance, get rid of some harmonics that can cause really catastrophic failures. We uh, appreciate their support of the diesel podcast and also the episode they did with us, chatting with us about the technical specifications of a fluid amper, and then also you know answering questions you guys had. So I, I had gotten some uh, questions from our discord and um, youtube other places we've been asked about how to protect your engine and we appreciate them answering that also if you're in the market for a knife definitely head on over to kershaw.kiausa.com use code diesel 20 for 20 percent off site-wide they got products to meet any budget any use if you're a knife enthusiast and are really into different blade steels and handle materials opening mechanisms or you just need something to toss in a toolbox or you know in your glove box they've definitely got something for you Want to also give a shout out to some of our Patreon supporters, um, Tyler Lowen of 23 Diesel, Caleb, all of our other Patreons, all of you who subscribe on YouTube and podcast apps, uh, those of you on our Discord asking tons of questions about trucks and builds and ways to, to winterize your vehicle or just make it run the best that it can. We appreciate all the feedback that you guys give us and we, we want to make sure you guys know that this is your podcast and that's why we you know, try to be so accessible with ways to suggest episodes, um, ask us questions, or be on a podcast yourself. Um, we do this podcast for you guys and wanted to thank you for your support. Until next time, keep the shiny side up.